rules at this. This is where the fun begins. Take a seat. Ladies and gentlemen, clones and clankers, welcome back to the Jedi Jargon Podcast, your number one source for news, discussion, and analysis of all things Star Wars. This is Episode 7. My name is Jedi General OB, and I first experienced the franchise through LEGO Star Wars, and this right here is Jedi General Jeff, the boy who faced Darth Maul at Disney World and lived to tell the tale. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm feeling a little extra proud of that little fact uh, that I faced Maul at Disney World and lived a little extra proud of that in light of recent developments. I wonder what that could be. I wonder. Maybe we can get into that today. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't even... Yeah. What is this? Is this a Star Wars podcast? I, I think, think so. Can we do that? I, I mean, we are called the Jedi Jargon Podcast, but uh, you know, you never know. You never know. Yeah. Right. It might be allowed, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Right. Cool. Good. So... All kidding aside, we know exactly why we're here, and that is the Clone Wars. Uh, Today we're going to be breaking down the second installment of the Siege of Mandalore, that is Season 7, Episode 10, The Phantom Apprentice. Mm, Part of the plan. The plan. The time of the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat cities. I will help you. Jeff, just give me your give me your you know your letter grade and your initial thoughts of the episode. I'd give this one an A. It's not quite the A plus that last week um was for me i still really enjoyed it and it still had some pretty incredible some pretty incredibly um some incredibly cinematic moments the in- i'm not going to get into the content just yet of it but yeah there was enough in there to warrant an a and to still carry that sort of uh, cinematic flair that last week's part one delivered for me. I stayed up until three to to watch the episode premiere. And I don't know if I should have done that because I was a little tired uh, when the time finally came um, to watch the episode. So I don't know if I enjoyed it upon first viewing as much as I could have or should have. Um, and I think in the future, I'm going to wait to watch them until the next day. So I, you know, I'm fully rested uh, and invested in the episode, not to, not to rhyme there. Um, but, but so I did watch it when it came out. Um, the cool thing that I noticed is that, uh, at 3am when it's supposed to drop, you know, everyone's online just refreshing and refreshing and refreshing. And it doesn't come online until like 303, 304, uh, sometimes some of these episodes you're sitting there like refreshing and you can see the blank box of the new episode, but you can't click it because there's nothing in there yet. Um, and then you wait and then it finally comes on. Uh, and anyway, so I, I think this episode, similarly, I will give it an A. I don't want to give it an A-, minus, but I don't want to give it an A+. plus. Now, similar to you, um, it did not have the same uh, 
emotion to me uh, as last week's episode. There was just so much in there. And maybe it was a little fan servicey, but it worked for me. Uh, there was so much in last week's episode. You know, so many you know little tearjerker moments uh, that would just get you all misty eyed and whatnot, give you chills. Um, and this week didn't really have that. Now I'm not really sure why that is, and maybe we can get into it. Um, and again, I'm not disparaging this episode uh, in any way. It's just that it didn't have the same effect on me as last week's did. Um, maybe it was because I had high hopes and high expectations after watching last week. Um, and you kind of have to realize that, you know, yeah, this is a separate episode, but it is one part of the same film, essentially. Now, over the course of a film, you're going to have different acts. Not every act of the film can be the same triumphant opening act that episode that that part one was last week. You know, this has to be a bit a bit of a darker episode where the chips start to fall into place and our heroes start to face some actual challenges in which they have to overcome. Um, but again, I'll give this episode an A. It was solid. It did everything it needed to. Uh, it showed us a whole lot of information that our characters know or don't know. And, and I think that that worked really well. Um, so anyway, yes, I'll give it an A. We'll get into it. But just give me some, some of your initial takeaways from the episode. Yeah, man, I think we're both, I can tell that we're both in agreement on like how we, inter- like our initial reactions, right? Like our our takeaways are similar. And I think that all kind of comes down to the scope of this episode compared to part one right part one had a massive scope a lot of players were involved whereas in part two it's a lot more focused which is good the focus is good it gave us a new light on a lot of the uh, on the characters that we did see especially maul and i'm really happy about that Mm mm-hmm I, I agree. I think that one big reason why I liked last week's episode so much, and I, I don't know, maybe that's why this one didn't hit as well for me, um, is that last week's episode we saw a lot more of Anakin and Obi-Wan, and the majority of the film, of the film, the episode, pardon me, um, felt like it was a part of episode three, because again, we were seeing our, our heroes and stuff as we know them at the time of the movie. This week's episode saw our heroes sent in different directions as we knew they would be. And, and and granted, you know, I know that we can't be getting Obi-Wan and Anakin for the rest of the season because they're off doing their own thing. Right. But I think it was just something you have to be cognizant of and realize that you're interpreting things the way you are for these reasons. Of course. And who's to say that in the coming episodes, we, we won't see Obi-Wan and Anakin again. Maybe we don't see Anakin again. Maybe we see Vader. Who knows? True. And with that, I want to have you sound the spoiler klaxons. And if you, listeners, haven't watched Phantom Apprentice yet, now's a good time to pause and do so. Alright guys, the spoiler clackens have been sounded. Consider yourselves forewarned. If anything is spoiled for you guys at this point, uh, that's not on me. I just talk into the microphone and give you guys my thoughts. Um, so, I just wanted to read you guys this little this little bit. Um, this is from the opening of the Revenge of the Sith novelization. And I just think that putting this in here and just reflecting on it as we watch these final episodes is just so great. Here we go. 
This story happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is already over. Nothing can be done to change it. It is a story of love and loss, brotherhood and betrayal, courage and sacrifice and the death of dreams. It is a story of the blurred line between our best and our worst. It is the story of an end of an age. Now a strange thing about stories, though this all happened so long ago and so far away that words cannot describe the time or the distance, it is also happening right now, right here. It is happening as you read these words. This is how 25 millennia came to a close. Corruption and treachery have crushed a thousand years of peace. This is not just the end of a republic. Night is falling on civilization itself. This is the twilight of the Jedi. The end starts now. Wow. Yeah. That pretty much sums up why I have such a love of Revenge of the Sith. And that it's not just the culmination of a character's story, his rise, and his breakneck fall to the dark, but his story is also a reflection of the universe in which he lives in. So bright limitless potential brought down by a few circumstances that were just too much to handle and that no one could really stop <laughs> it's funny these like these parallels that we you know years of being a star wars fan i never would have thought of this as as a child right who does Right, who thinks of who thinks into these things so deeply, but shit. Yeah. Yep. I think it just perfectly encapsulates the importance of the last four episodes of the Clone Wars. We saw Nightfall on the Republic. We're we're coming at it yet again from a different point of view. And I I just couldn't be more hyped. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be more hyped. I actually watched today. I watched episodes 9 and 10, but in between them, I watched the first half hour of Revenge of the Sith. That was a very good choice, let me tell you. Ooh. Yeah. Definitely. To, to, to go from Kenobi talking to Anakin or Soka about the attack on the Capitol, to watching the end of the attack on the Capitol, to then hearing, to then seeing Anakin kill Dooku, to then see Obi-Wan tell Ahsoka that Anakin killed Dooku. It was just exquisite. Yeah, I, I think I may try that in the interim while we wait for part three. And I would encourage our listeners to do the same. Um, I'm probably going to watch episode nine, part one, right? And what I'll do, depending on how far into the... It doesn't matter. I, I love the movie so much that it doesn't. I could watch it a million times and, and still enjoy it. No diminishing uh, <laughs> returns there. But I'll I'll watch... 
through to that hallway conversation between Obi-Wan and Anakin, where he gives him that special assignment. Pause. Watch part two. Maybe an interesting experiment. I would love to see when this is all over for somebody to make a master cut of Ooh. the movie yes. and the and the and the episodes, so you can jump back and forth. So you start off with episode one of the Siege of Mandalore. You watch the first half hour of Revenge of the Sith. You watch episode two. You watch Order sixty six come from. Well, I, I don't know how next week's gonna play out, but you just watch them all in the correct order. Or you could even splice in little clips as they go along. It doesn't have to be a full episode and then the movie. Yeah, man, I think now is a pretty good time to jump into our recap of the episode. Sounds good, General. The episode begins with the green Lucasfilm Limited logo, just like part one. And I love that. I love that they didn't change that. I love that they kept it the same um, as last episode. But the difference is we don't get the main Star Wars theme here. In fact, we don't even get the, st- the starry background like we normally do. We just get the red Clone Wars logo with a blank back background. Blank black background, pardon me. With the orchestra buildup. And that opening just musical cacophony, well, that was so cool. You, you got to admit, it just builds up the tension in the moment so well. And there's no introductory narration. And we are left back right where we were left off. We pick up right where we left off last week. And there's no narration needed, right? Because we know exactly where we are. We're in the midst of the Siege of Mandalore. Um, And it also makes sense that there's no opening uh, cacophony, as you said, um, as we had with part one. um, Because it is a seamless continuation. Right. All that was necessary was what they did. You know, you see the Lucasfilm logo, you see the Clone Wars logo, and then you see the text, part two the Phantom Apprentice, and then we are right back into the action. I mean, Ahsoka's in the same stance that she was in last week. Hasn't moved. Seamless. Seamless. So, we hear Ahsoka's sabers, and then we come up on her standing in the same position. And like I said, we are right where we left off. Maul and Ahsoka, and the Maldalorians surrounding them. Now, this is their first time meeting. I know a lot of dedicated Star Wars fans like ourselves will know that Maul and Ahsoka have... um, a bit of a significant story later on in the story of Star Wars Rebels. But right now we are back at their first meeting. And I think that's crazy that we're finally seeing them coming together for the first time. Now, Maul says, I imagine we have several mutual friends. And Ahsoka you know, says that's not how I would put it. Um, and Maul comes back with, your way of thinking is behind the times. And that was the first moment that I knew that Maul is already prepping for Order 66. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, from the go, you can tell he knows a lot. He knows a lot. (laughs) And I was asking myself throughout, I've watched this episode twice now, um, throughout my viewing, like, how does this man know so much? But we'll, we'll get more into that. Right. So Maul thought that Kenobi would come along with Skywalker instead of Ahsoka. Now, as we know, at the end of last week's episode, he says, you know, I was hoping for Kenobi, why are you here? Now, that that is expounded upon in great detail why he said that in this week's episode. Um, and Ahsoka comes back with the fact that, you know, Kenobi has a more important engagement, which you and I both know, and you listeners also know, that that is to rescue the Chancellor, engage General Grievous, and defend Coruscant. And what he says next... 
is just <laughs> so good. There's so much there. And he says, I wonder if the moment may be upon us. He knows. He knows. He knows. Oh, he knows. And I think that was this whole idea. Like, does Maul know? Like, what does Maul know? When did he know it? What does and Kenobi? How? Yeah. What does Kenobi and the Je- and the Jedi Council know? And when did they know it? That is what drives this episode forward. Yes, we get one of the best lightsaber duels in all of Star Wars animation, if not all of Star Wars, in this episode. Sure, right. But what moves the needle with this episode is the knowledge of the characters compared to what we as the audience already know. We are more informed than the characters, and that's what builds up drama and tension in this episode. So, Maul then says, if I am correct, the Jedi and the Republic will no longer be the controlling interest in the galaxy. Darth Sidious will. Now, when he says Darth Sidious, my skin crawled. Because his skin crawled. He said Darth, and he, and he sharply ex- inhaled, and he, and he had a little shiver. Sidious. It's almost like he was afraid to say it. He, was, he hesitated. Because of, as we know, what Sidious did to him and what he's yeah. capable of. Guy got put in his place real quick. Yeah. He just shows well, up, you know, with, uh, to Mandalore. You are a rival! And uh, kills his brother. Puts him in his place real quick. Uh-huh. The way Maul reacted, it kind of reminded me of an abused dog who's scared oh, of yeah. like human contact, honestly. And I hate to say it, but that's kind of what he is. Uh, like, when push comes to shove, he he is weak. Um, like, you know, in comparison to the average individual in the Star Wars universe, he's a powerful Sith Lord. Force user. Force to be reckoned with, but push comes to shove with uh, Sidious my god yeah and I think that's an interesting thing to to maybe delve into um, is just the idea that all of these characters had these veneers that they put on and and Maul tries to be the big scary tough guy who looks like the devil and whatnot but when push came to shove he was begging his former master for mercy after he just murdered his brother it's it was and later in this it episode, kind of pathetic. Yeah. And later in this episode, he's begging Ahsoka for mercy. So anyway, so after he kind of dropped the hint about Sidious, uh, which by the way, I love that they're just calling him Sidious at this point, because that's a thing that hasn't really been done. I know in the original trilogy, you know, everybody referred to him as the Emperor, and in fact, they didn't even call him the Emperor for the first while um, in the original or in the in the prequel trilogy uh he was just palpatine or the chancellor until yoda called him the emperor in episode three and then in the sequels um the only one that refers to him in the first two movies is luke and he says he does say sidious um but in episode nine they call him palpatine right so Darth somehow he returned. Exactly. It, it's <laughs> right. It, it, it's kind of like how it sounds weird to hear Count Dooku referred to as Darth Tyrannus, right? Right. And it's the Sith names, interestingly enough, with possibly Maul being the exception, they're almost like inside code names in a way that aren't really in like wide use. Um if that makes sense. Uh, 
like with at least with Dooku and Palpatine, right? They're known publicly. They're they're public figures. They're known by their names, right? But their Sith names are almost like insider code names um, that they only use with those with which they have uh, further their Sith uh, interests, right? Right. Now that might only be for the two of them because they are public figures, exactly. and it might it might have also. Yeah. I haven't read the Plagueis novel, but I think it was the same thing with Plagueis because Plagueis was also a public figure. Um, but but anyway, so I think that was really interesting um, to hear them refer to Darth Sidious so much. I don't know why it just it was just really cool. So so anyway, uh, Maul and Ahsoka start to duel, and Captain Rex. And the three thirty second show back up after uh, after Ahsoka hits uh, something on her you know her comm link or whatever that that alerts them to where she is, and Maul says not yet, and he pushes Ahsoka and Rex and he escapes, and it's almost as if he was waiting to confront Ahsoka at the right moment, and he knew that now is not the time for their final showdown. So back in the throne room, we see a meeting between Bo-Katan, Rex. Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. Now, Obi-Wan is in the meeting uh, through a hologram. You know, he's FaceTiming into the meeting. He's zooming in, you know, as we all are these days, right? So, <laughs> Ahsoka says that Maul mentioned someone by the name of Darth Sidious. And Obi-Wan tells her that the Council suspects that Sidious is the Sith Lord behind all of this. The one that pitted the two sides against each other from the very beginning. And then my question was then, so the Jedi Council knew about Sidious, right? So we know that Obi-Wan first learned about the existence of a Darth Sidious from Dooku when he was held captive on Geonosis in Episode 2. Right. And then it is revealed to, uh, to those assembled at this meeting that Anakin killed Dooku. So just so we know where we are in the timeline. Um, and then Ahsoka, or pardon me, uh, Bo-Katan says, we need more men. We need more clones. And Obi-Wan can't send any more because he has been tasked to hunt down General Grievous on Utapau. And Ahsoka says, well, let's get Anakin in here. And Obi-Wan says, well, we can't do that either. And he tells everyone to go away so he can just talk to Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka alone. And he informs her that Anakin has been tasked by the council to spy on the Chancellor. All right, so before you get any, go any further, we need to talk about Obi-Wan's demeanor in this small meeting because, it again, it says a lot about where he's at. This is... He probably had this conversation with Bo-Katan and Ahsoka shortly after that uh, hallway... Conversa- that uncomfortable hallway conversation with Anakin where he gave him that special assignment. And you could tell in the film, Obi-Wan didn't, he wasn't comfortable even telling Anakin about that. And he clearly disagreed with their decision about not granting him the rank of master. And a little bit of that comes out in the conversation, um, in the like private conversation with Ahsoka. Uh, and I think you might be getting to it where after uh, Ahsoka mentions that, you know, I, I know you, cause Obi-Wan wants her to speak with Anakin at this time, kind of, you know, 
help him get his his mind right. Right to get to get his bearings, because he's uncomfortable spying on a man that's been his mentor, like an uncle to him for so many years, ever since he came, uh, uh, became a Jedi uh, after the events of the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Clearly uncomfortable. You should talk to him, Ahsoka, and he's and she says back, "You know, I'm really not the one to be, you know, talking to him. I don't exactly see eye to eye with the Council." And he says, Obi-Wan says, I know the council isn't perfect. They're not always right. Which is an interesting thing coming from him, considering he's, he, reli- he has so much deference to the council. Um, even Obi-Wan, member of the Jedi Council, who, like I said, has so much deference to their, their will uh, and wisdom, questioning them. Uh, in in this, these troubling times, it's all coming out. That's a really good observation. Um, I I don't know why I didn't exactly have that same observation, uh, but what I noticed is just that Obi Wan was being a little more respectful to Ahsoka than he was in their first meeting in last week's episode, right? So he kind of, at least this is how I interpret it. Last week he was a little more cold towards her. And this week, he just seemed a little more warm towards her. Now, whatever that reason may be, I don't know. I think it's simply because things are changing fast. He's he's shook. He was shook in that conversation. That's how I interpreted him. He was... Things had changed rapidly. Um, from the time they rescued the Chancellor and went back to the Council. And he just doesn't know how to react. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So one of my big takeaways from this episode, um, it's more of like a question, and that is that if the Jedi Council knew about the existence of a Darth Sidious, right, not of Darth Sidious, but of a of somebody named Darth Sidious playing both sides of this war off of each other, right, and they sent Anakin to spy on the Chancellor because they didn't trust him, and they knew, since Dooku told Obi-Wan, that a Sith Lord controls the Galactic Senate. Why couldn't they put the pieces together and see that that Darth Sidious, who is playing both sides off of each other and is in control of the Galactic Senate, is Supreme Chancellor Palpatine? Why couldn't they put the pieces together? The dark side... As Yoda put it many times in this series, in the prequels, he mentioned that the dark side had clouded even his judgment. Um, So, in a roundabout sort of way, one could say that Palpatine, for the entirety of the events of the prequel era, he really did use the dark side of the Force and in a creative way um, to deceive the Jedi and control them. So it's hard to say how exactly he did that, perhaps with his personality. Perhaps his... He used a bit of the dark side in his political maneuverings um, and personal interactions. Interesting. It's hard to say. Interesting. The way that I see it, and like, sure, it might sound like a bit of a meme, but like, this is the way that I interpret it. It's just that the idea that you could have a guy 
who's in such a position of power and all this stuff is going on, it just seems like the most convenient plot device since Clark Kent's glasses. Yes, but Sidious, like Darth Sidious, right, was just so well hidden. They, And the question that you raise is valid, but one could argue that the Jedi may have in their in their arrogance and overconfidence they may not have even considered the fact that like Sidious was a tangible threat or whatever like oh he's operating from the shadows he must be weak mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and also we do have the perspective of knowing how all of this turns out so i suppose it could make all of these these story bits seem um one way when the characters would interpret them in a completely different way, not knowing what what we do, right? Right. So, so anyway, so that whole conversation between Rex, Bo-Katan, Obi Wan, and Ahsoka happens, um, and then we hear that there's an attack down in the Undercity. So Ahsoka goes down there, and she goes up to the trooper named Sterling. Now he is injured, and she speaks with him, and. Sterling tells her that Maul went through all of the troopers asking about Ahsoka and he found Arc Trooper Jesse, one of our one of our favorites from episodes past, and took him alive after looking into his mind. And then we cut to Jesse and Maul and the other Maul DeLoreans, as we call them. And Jesse says that he's not going to tell Maul anything. And I kind of chuckled there when Maul kind of chuckled because I know exactly what the dark side can do. I know, I mean, you know it too. We saw it from Kylo Ren. Like you can read minds. You can probe in people's minds. So he does the exact same little hand motion. Right? And he, and he kind of digs into his mind. But before, before that, he says that he's a clone. Maul says that Jesse's a clone. And clones are bred for combat. All part of the plan. Jesse asks, what plan? And Maul says, the only plan that matters. And again, another moment where what drives this episode is who knows what, when did they know it, and how much of it did they know. And how. And how they, exactly. And that is that Maul is talking about the Sith Grand Plan. And he says, not even I was made aware of its grand design, but I played my part. I played my part. Those small comments from Maul. He's hinting at how much he knows about this grand plan. It it begs a lot of questions. How did Maul come to have all of this knowledge? Was it because of a fragmented but still existent connection through the Force with Palpatine? Was he able to sh- like glean this knowledge from that fragmented connection? Or... Because all masters and apprentices in the Star Wars universe do have a special bond. Mm-hmm. Or was he just that intelligent? Well, I think that all of Sidious's various apprentices leading up to Darth Vader knew to some degree of the Sith Grand Plan. S- because, and, and my guess for that just stems from episode one where Maul says, at last, we will, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have our revenge. And I think that that was a little bit of an indication 
of things to come. Um, and then we go to episode two, and we see that Dooku gets from Poggle the Lesser, I believe is who it was, one of the Geonosians, uh, the plans for the Death Star. A full three or four years before the Empire begins. So I think that, I mean, as we know, it's it's not called the Grand Plan for no reason. You know, it's that Sidious has had this plan um, since probably he was Plagueis' apprentice. And he has used his own apprentices, not really to teach them in the ways of the Force, but to use them for his own purposes. And I think Maul, um, in this period of time, after, as he says, being cast aside by Sidious, he's had a lot of time to reflect on how he was used as a tool by Palpatine. Exactly. He says in this... Actually, I'm getting ahead. Okay. Um, All right. So I just we'll think that what was interesting... Sure, sure. What was interesting about this part right here is when he says, not even I was made aware of its grand design, but I played my part. It's another kind of thing that we're learning and Maul's learning at the same time. So... Yes, Maul knows about Order 66. He knows about all of that, right? But he, what he's learning, which makes us, you know, makes us even deeper, he learning, he's learning his own part that he played. He's learning the true scope of his own part. That he was a mere pawn in all of this. And the opportunity that it presents to himself to become a crime lord. Exactly. I mean, thrive in the chaos. Exactly. He says. he says, I can thrive in the chaos that is to come. So Maul sends Gar Saxon off to deal with Prime Minister Almec to ensure that he doesn't talk and get them into any trouble. Now, as I said, Maul uses the same force technique that Kylo Ren used to read Jesse's mind. He wants to find out who exactly this Ahsoka Tano is. And then we cut back to Bo-Katan, Ahsoka, and Rex going to interrogate Prime Minister Almec. Now the Prime Minister says that Maul isn't trying to escape I mean, he knows he can't. For weeks, the Prime Minister says, Maul has been consumed by dread. He wanted Kenobi there on Mandalore, but he also wanted another. Now, as he is going to tell the group just who that other is, he gets shot. Now, as he's dying, he ekes out the name Skywalker. And then we hear the Vader theme on the strings that plays at the end of Return of the Jedi when Vader dies. So Bo-Katan goes to fight Saxon, and they get caught up in the elevator shaft. And this is a really cool little sequence right here. We get a bit of a Superman slash Iron Man moment as Bo-Katan uses her jetpack to stop the elevator that she's caught under. I thought that was really cool. Um, I like that as well. Bo-Katan's great. Mm. And then we cut to a meeting in the Undercity, back with Maul and the Syndicate leaders and the Maldalorians. Okay, so... And here it is. Did you catch this? I did. In the hologram. Um, if you Dryden want to go boss into yep. on the right, yep. uh, right around the 12-minute mark. I I noticed that immediately uh, just by the black shirt and white collar. And then I, I paused and took a closer look. And I'm like, yeah, that's Dryden Voss. So Dryden Voss is one of the three syndicate leaders in this hologram chat, if you will, that Maul tells to go into hiding. Now, I wonder why he tells him to go into hiding. Maybe because the entire galaxy is about to get turned upside down in the matter of three days. Now, I actually missed Dryden Voss on my first viewing. Um, unfortunately, 
I, I, I found out through Twitter, uh, and I went back the second time, and I heard it, or I saw I saw him, pardon me, and it was really, really cool. Um, so Maul says that he thought Dooku was an old fool, but now he sees that he and Dooku are the same, that they are both pawns in Darth Sidious's grand plan. And this next line, I think, gave me the most chills out of any line in the entire episode, and that is when Maul says... The dark side has never been stronger. Maul must have been a huge part of this grand plan with Sidious at the time of his apprenticeship. But, you know, as I've stated and as we as we know, he now sees that he was cut out of that plan. And he is steps behind Sidious. And again, Maul, through some method of foresight, he sees that the galaxy will soon be remade. And he's telling his syndicate that they must seize all the power that they can in the midst of the upcoming chaos. So Rex, Bo-Katan, and Ahsoka are talking about their plan to capture Maul. They're walking back to the throne room after the Prime Minister dies. The doors open, and I knew just from how Darth Maul enters a scene, you know, classically, that once those sliding doors open, we're going to see Maul in there. And we did. But he wasn't right behind the door. He was sitting on the throne with his leg up, looking like a G. And he wrecks Bo-Katan as she tries to shoot him, just throwing her bolts to the left and to the right with the force and then picking her up. He releases Jesse, who looks seriously messed up. And he sounds seriously messed up. Whatever Maul did to him really got to him. And he, he apologizes to Ahsoka and to Rex um, for giving away any secrets that he did, which is, that you know, they forgive him. Ahsoka sends Rex on his way, and then the battle just starts outside as the Maldalorians attack the citizens of Mandalore. Maul says, one of you better go handle that. You know, don't stay on, on my account. I'll be fine. I love that little <laughs> banter. Um, it's almost like just casual conversation, the way that he played it off. Um, so Bo-Katan goes to join the battle. Now, the scale of this battle, if you want to talk about this for a second, I'll, I'll let you take it. Just the scale of this battle is insane. The um, the animation is just incredibly lifelike. It was fantastic. I just seeing all of the clones and Maldalorians battle it out was was beautiful, really. Um, and how they were all coming at each other from every direction. The verticality of this battle was wasn't really like anything we saw in the prequels uh, because. We're talking Mandalorians here. They got jetpacks, right? It was great. They fly now? They fly now. Oh, they fly now! (laughs) I'm sorry, listeners. And, but having that, the battle, though, as well done as it is, as as it was, um, it really was a lot, you know, kind of like in in the great moments of Star Wars films. They were just kind of set pieces um, to the primary conflict. Right. Now we that see that in uh, episode three, when Obi-Wan and Anakin encounter Dooku in the midst of a great battle. We see that in the throne room um, on the second Death Star with Luke, Palpatine, and Vader. This scene, I think, paralleled most closely to the throne like after the 
Praetorian guard battle in the in Snoke's throne room, the interaction between Kylo and Rey, I saw so much of that in this. Oh, it was a direct um, parallel. It was a direct yeah. parallel, and that comes when Maul tries to convince Ahsoka to join him. He and points. She does. Well, she kind of does, and For he points sec. exactly. He points out how Ahsoka was motivated to leave the Order because of the hypocrisy of the Jedi Council. And he says that they were both tools for greater powers. And Ahsoka says, no, like, I'm here to bring you to justice. And the political philosopher in me loved this next line. And he says... There is no justice, no law, no order, except for the one that will replace it. Exactly. The time of the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat Sidious, but together you and I can. Right. Right. And he says that justice is the construct of the current power base, a base which is about to change. And that just shatters everything about what's going on at that current moment. Ahsoka is still living in the past. She's still holding on. She needs to let go. I'm sorry. Um, but but she's still living in this, you know, this 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 construct which has already come to pass. And she thinks she's going to turn him into the Jedi Council. Like, ooh, whoop they do What's that going to do when they're all dead next week? And exactly. she says in response to him telling her that this base is about to change, she says, Darth Sidious. And Maul comes back with the idea that Darth Sidious is behind everything. In the shadows. But soon, very soon, will reveal himself. And I love when he says that. When he says, but soon, very soon. He almost says that to himself. And one thing I love about Sam Whitford's performance of Maul is that he, even when he's out of his his misery, when he was you know um, using his hate to stay alive, he still talks to himself. He's still very introspective, because for so long, for ten years, he had to be to stay alive. And I just love when he says, "But soon, very very soon." It's very subtle. It it just provides a lot of little nuance to his delivery, and I loved it. Um, very soon, he's going to reveal himself. So Ahsoka tries to convince Maul to help her stop Sidious before it's too late. And as you and as you mentioned, um, Maul talks about how the Republic has already fallen and the time of the Jedi has passed. And he reaches out his hand to her as he says, every choice you have made has led you to this moment. Join me. Join Exactly, join me. And then we cut to the battlefield where we see all those set pieces, like you said, absolute carnage on the battlefield, as there is absolute serenity in that clone room. Yes. I This moment in particular that you're getting to here was a particular highlight for me. Because, like in The Last Jedi, when Kylo extends his hand to Rey, it, maybe it's something about the power of cinema, but that you really kind of honed in on his hand and her eyes in that moment. Everything, the breakneck pace of that movie came to a halt in that moment. Right. And in this episode, the animation that Lucasfilm had to work with, it complemented that. Right. I mean, because listen, listen. Time I... slows down for Ahsoka. Exactly. She's considering this. I mean, dude, she wanted to take his hand, Maul's hand, 
<laughs> Please. <laughs> Don't ruin this moment. Listen, if, oh if there's God. anything I can say about the writing in the sequel trilogy, if you want to, like, poop... Very if you No, well, yes. But if you want to poo-poo the writing in the sequel trilogy, just go look at the prequels, man. I mean... I love the water. So Love Has Blinded You. Like, like no. Like, it, listen, it's always been cheesy. <laughs> Any, anyway, anyway. So yeah. we, we have complete and utter serenity in the throne room. And then the stained glass window explodes. Just like that in Palpatine's chambers when his lightsaber hits it during his duel with Master Mace Windu. And there's a slow motion shot as neither character flinches. They're both locked into each other in that moment. And nothing on the exterior, nothing of the battle going on outside is going to break their concentration. And finally, Ahsoka says that she will help Maul. She will take his hand. But first, she wants to know what he wants with Anakin. Big butt. Big butt. That's a big butt. That's a big butt. So Maul says, Anakin Skywalker is the key to everything. And this is where it's finally coming into place. This is where the stars are aligning. And she's like, yeah, to bring balance. To bring balance to the Force, right. But he says, nah, Nachi, to destroy. His purpose is to destroy. And then we finally learn that Maul knows everything. He is completely aware of not only his own place in all of this, not only Count Dooku's place in all of this, but Anakin Skywalker's place in all of this. Now, his place is to be groomed for his role as Sidious's new apprentice. And Ahsoka just doesn't believe him. But what's tragic about this entire thing is that for 20-something years, right, Maul has been one of the greatest Star Wars villains. He has appeared to be one of the most evil people in all of Star Wars. But in this instance, he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth to Ahsoka because he knows what's about to happen and he wants to stop it. Now, he might want to stop it for selfish reasons because he doesn't want his former master to gain power because he hates him, because he killed his brother and left him to die. But he wants to stop Sidious. And Maul says that he orchestrated the entire war on Mandalore to bring Skywalker and Kenobi to the planet, to kill Skywalker and deprive his former master Sidious of his prized pupil. Now, granted, it is, as I said, for purely selfish reasons that Maul wants to do this. And I know that Immanuel Kant would disagree with um, his actions here because he wants to do a good act for a selfish reason. Um, But that just makes it all the more layered. And Ahsoka doesn't believe Maul that Skywalker is being groomed to be turned to the dark side. Yeah, and in that moment where she's denying this, right? She doesn't... She just can't believe that Anakin would ever turn to the dark side and be long considered by Palpatine to be the prize student that he will groom and he will turn into his greatest weapon. No. No. And she ignites her sabers, not even to fight Maul, but just to defend her master's honor, right? Because how how dare he? Exactly. How dare he start saying this bullshit? Listen, it it makes me glad that chivalry is canon in Star Wars. 
So Ahsoka draws her sabers, and they go to fight. And as they do, I don't know if you caught this. I don't know if you listeners caught this, but I caught this. We hear Sidious's scream from his duel against Mace Windu and the rest of the Jedi. And even at that, before he lunges and we hear the, the scream, his ignition, it mirrors his ignition on Naboo in that in the hangar there the way he takes out the saber and lights it you can put the two frames next to each other and you know i could go on about that for hours it was just gorgeous well in a in a similar vein the animation just overall in this duel was beautiful and i don't know if you knew this but they actually used motion capture to capture the movement for this duel they used ray park um to, to come back as maul actually um and I think that's why it looked so right and it felt so right. Uh, to me, the, the animation and the movement was so fluid that it looked as if you were watching people people in 4K. Yeah. So it was it was crazy. The choreog the choreography was on point. Exactly. And like listen, it's Star Wars, so it's unrealistic, but something about this just didn't look it it looked grounded, exactly. Exactly. Um, so Maul and Ahsoka are going at it, and she pulls her saber uh, after she loses it. She pulls it back with the force, and it turns on in midair. I don't know if I've seen that before. I probably have. I just thought that was cool. Um, and she says, you're lucky Anakin isn't here, because if he was, you wouldn't last so long. I love that. She's like, my master would kick your ass. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Um, so Maul is thrown out the window, and... I don't know, a little, a little thing I noticed as well. We see those horizontal lightsaber marks in the window. That was, that was a nice little, nice little touch. Yeah, and after, I noticed that too. Exactly. You know, after Maul is thrown out the window, we get a shot of Ahsoka picking herself up, and she breathes really heavily, and looks like she's about to tear up a little bit before chasing him. And to me, I interpreted that as her allowing herself but a mere moment to reflect on what she had just learned before reacting and getting back into the fight with Maul. Now, what she had just learned being that Anakin's going to turn to the dark side, because this is her first time probably having that thought in a concrete way, uh, beyond just the, hey, Anakin, maybe don't be so rough on that, you know, whoever. You know, that's not the Jedi way. This is her learning for the first time, like, he's part of the grand plan to take over the galaxy. And she, it looks like she is internalizing that. Maybe she's in denial. I don't know, um, but she's certainly reflecting on that in that moment, and she only allows herself a mere moment before getting back into the fight, and that's just her centering herself as a Jedi, I think, not allowing her emotions to cloud her judgment uh, and to stay present. Yeah, because with anything, we see this in Star Wars, we see this in real life. When you're reacting to a recent development or piece of news in your life it can be very sometimes you can't even like react to it right away you just have to carry on what you're doing and she probably realized in that moment i don't i, I don't even have time to think about this like <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so after that moment uh, we get another shot of the clones and the mandalorians going at it and i just remember that rex and the 332nd just looked so heroic it just another moment that just gave me complete chills 
Um, and I think it just is, again, a testament to not only the score, but also the animation um, and the cinematography of this episode were just on point, leaps and bounds ahead of things that we've seen, what we've seen in the past. Um, so we see that the clones overtake the Mandalorians and they capture them. Um, and then Gar Saxon, he uses a holocom and he contacts Maul and asks him for support. He says, hey, we need your help. Like, we're, we're getting, we're getting, you know, beat down over here. And Maul says, like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I'm gonna, I'm about to peace out. And then he hits him with the die well, Mandalorian. <laughs> like, oh my god, there is no loyalty. There is no, no. loyal. There is no honor amongst amongst thieves. There is no loyalty amongst Sith. Um, they were the Maldalorians were his his pawns, his playthings, his weapons. Well, that's that's, that's another it. thing. He had no connection to them. What gets me is Maul is so shook by Palpatine's double dealing, but at the same time, he's the exact same way to his underlings. So, like, how can you be surprised? How can you be surprised at all? Well, it's a I don't think that Maul was necessarily surprised but just coming to grips with the the sheer amount of power that will be that is involved in all in this grand plan he wants that Mm -hmm. he he doesn't want to stop Palpatine to bring balance or because even when Ahsoka suggested, yeah, his purpose is to bring balance to the Force. He's like, no, no, I mean, who cares? Who cares? Balance? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? I want power. I want the power that he's about to get right now. Right. So after that call, that call, I'll say, um, with Gar Saxon, we hear Obi Wan was right. You are difficult to kill. And we pan around Maul's back, and we see Ahsoka. And I mean, they might as well have just started playing the final countdown. Right then and there, because yeah. it is it is on. Um, Maul and Ahsoka just go at it. This is probably the third time in the episode that they have dueled. I mean, you could probably count this whole last part as one big duel, um, but exactly, it's just the second part of it's this the second part, l- right? Long duel. But what I noticed in this section, as the going gets, as the going gets, uh, Ahsoka's aggressive high flying style works to her advantage a bit it was reminiscent of her duel with vader in rebels um she uses her agility to actually get on top of she did it against vader and she does it here against maul she jumps up on top of her opponent's knees and attacks from above she may be shorter, but she creates her own high ground. Um, incredible. It speaks to her creativity, her agility, and skill as a duelist. Um, my, uh, I, I, I love that character so much. Like Her ability as a lightsaber duelist is just... Oh, it's, it's, it's bar probably none. Le- she's, she's, in, she's in the god tier. <laughs> oh yeah that. oh yeah and especially because she's been out of practice for so long i mean how she can give a beat come on she didn't like, like not at all yeah it, it speaks to her uh, her connection to the force exactly her skill with a lightsaber so as their duel reaches its final peak maul says that 
you know, we could have destroyed Sidious. And Ahsoka says, only for you to take his place. And that just goes into how layered this entire fight and this entire sequence and this entire battle is. Because not only is it the Jedi versus the Sith, not only is it the Separatists versus the Republic, but it's also Sith versus Sith. It's former Jedi versus Sith versus Jedi. You know what I mean? It's like... It's like it's they, betrayed, they have a betrayed force users trying to come to grips with that the lack of the binary. Yeah, exactly. There is no ne- there's not necessarily a binary anymore. Uh the people that were in charge didn't care about us. Uh what do we do? Exactly. Exactly. It's not it, Sith it, and Jedi. It reminds me them. it reminds me of when Ray and Ben, I'll call him Ben, um finished their lightsaber duel. And they, er, and, and they, and you know, they kill Snoke and whatnot, and all the Praetorian guards are just murked. And Ray says, "The fleet, there's still time to save the fleet." And she rushes over and looks at them. And then this is when Ben, you know, when Kylo reaches out his hand, he's like, "Join me," blah blah blah. And this is because they realize that the balance of power has shifted, and they both had a common em- enemy. Uh, them being Snoke in this instance, it's Sidious, and one of them, Ray, in this case, Ahsoka. Uh, thinks that that will translate to the other person, Ben or Maul, having the same goals beyond that, the same enemies and the same friends beyond that. Ray wants to save the fleet, and Ahsoka wants Maul to help her to save the Jedi. Now, in this example, both parties, Maul and, and Kylo, say no, like, no, 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 like, I'm not here for that. <laughs> like, no, no thanks. No thank you. So towards the end of the fight, Ahsoka actually does lose her lightsabers. And all she has is just her agility and reflexes. And it gets to the point where she's backed up to the edge of the rafters, right? And just off of her skill and awareness alone, is able to dodge and attack from Maul, grip his lightsaber, and take out his footing. And she doesn't let him fall. She holds him there. And the ships arrive. They got him. Yeah. And Ahsoka's just holding him there. And he's saying, let me go. Let me die. Yeah, if he does, if he can't have the power, he he's cool with death. Yeah. Um, but then he which, says in the yeah. next line, when they, when they start to, you know, tie him up and bring him in, he says, we're all going to burn. We're all going to die. You don't know what you're doing. Now, normally, I'd be pretty stoked to see Maul getting carted away. But in this instance, we know what Maul knows, which is more than the rest of our characters know. Which is that, had Maul gotten away, things might have been a whole lot differently. So, Maul is captured by the clone forces, and he looks, and Ahsoka looks up in the sky. There's a final cannon shot, and there's some sad outro music, and our episode is over. This was a trip, man. Okay, so, yes. Um, first things first, I have to ask you, who is the Phantom Apprentice? Ooh. Oh, I think it's Maul. I think it's Maul. Uh, because... Wow, I... Not not who I got. I have, I have two candidates. All right. So, I think it's definitely going to be... Um, well, I mean, now that you said that, my first answer is Maul. My second answer is maybe Anakin, but I'm going to say it's Maul because 
he has been acting as a pseudo-Sith ever since he came back into the Clone Wars. Um, he's not Sidious's apprentice, but he is still a Sith. There can only be two Sith, so he's kind of in that role, but not at all, really. Just the idea, like, the Phantom Menace was um, the Sith in Episode One, or it could be Maul. The Phantom Apprentice, I just think it's Maul. Now, how I think it could be Anakin is that he is already Sidious's apprentice, and he doesn't even know it yet. Love to hear your thoughts. So I was thinking primarily Ahsoka, that she, in Maul's mind, was the key to upending the great plan, overtaking Palpatine, and not under any banner, just Maul and Ahsoka, two very different force users working together towards a common goal. That would be his apprentice. She would be his apprentice in that case. And when he spoke to her, when he reached out his hand, that's what I got. That the Jedi and the Sith, those names are just arbitrary. We're people who have been betrayed, and we have that in common, and we can work together. She was his phantom apprentice. Interesting. And also Anakin is the phantom, the rising phantom apprentice of Sidious. I agree with you. And that, as we found out, is what drove Maul, drove Maul to orchestrate all of this madness, um, which is fascinating, fascinating stuff. I didn't, I didn't uh, interpret it as Maul, though, which is a very good take. Um, I just didn't, hmm. I didn't get that on my Interesting, viewing. interesting. So do you want to uh, go in and maybe read some incoming transmissions? Do we have incoming transmissions? Or? Dude, we have a plethora of incoming transitions. My um, my droid's beeping off the chain in the back over here. All right, man. Don't don't leave him hanging. Come on. All right. All right, guys, so we're going to read some incoming transmissions that we get from you guys, the listeners. If you want to send us an incoming transmission, just reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at JediJargonPod. Uh, a lot of these are taken from comments on one of our posts in which I asked, what did you guys think of The Clone Wars Season 7, Episode 10, The Phantom Apprentice? So, uh, one of these is coming from my friend Evan Costa, and he said, I thought it was good. I'm just not ready yet to hear the famous lines that we all know are coming very soon. You know, me too, man. This is... Um, what I think makes this arc so much more amazing, besides just the mere storytelling that's coming from the Clone Wars itself, is how it relates to Episode 3. Next one comes in from Jaden, and it says, Wow, words cannot describe how impressed I was with the writing Dave put into this episode. Well-paced, action-packed, emotionally thrilling, and of course, chilling seeing how Maul responded to being captured and knowing about Order 66. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I cannot express how impressed I have been with this arc so far. Cannot wait for next week's episodes. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Maul would rather die than be taken in with the knowledge of what's to come is chilling. That's absolutely right. Exactly, exactly. It almost reminds me, I, I, I don't know what the literary device is, but it's when 
the audience knows more than the characters. Um, similarly, in Romeo and Juliet, that we know more about what's happening than Romeo and Juliet do themselves. So, for example, like if they knew what we knew, they wouldn't have died in the end, right? And it sort of pains the the audience. Exactly. It's a it's a unique device to be sure, and we're feeling it for sh- whatever that is. Um, we're experiencing that. Right. Right. Our our last one. Uh, says, I liked it a lot, but I think that Maul went down too easy. It's so suspenseful, suspenseful, even though we know what is going to happen. Maul is definitely going insane by this point. And why does he just abandon his Mandalorian supporters, even though he told the crime bosses to hide? I also wish Ahsoka got to talk to Anakin again. The fight choreography was supposed to be amazing, but it was very poor. They built it up by saying they had Ray Park do motion capture, but they should have just animated it. It looked slow and weird and wasn't good. And then he gives it a 9.25 out of 10. Interesting, okay. interesting comment. Um, so I don't what, did he, what did he mention first? Um, so we hear that person. Maul went down too easily. Okay. So what's interesting is that we, we talked about this at the beginning, um, like towards the beginning of this pod, when we threw it back to the instance where Palpatine went to Mandalore, took care of business, and pieced out. Maul, when push comes to shove... Shows his true colors, his weakness, right? He's a rapid dog that just, when he senses that he can't handle a situation, pieces out. And that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm like that <laughs> in, in my <laughs> life. I mean, I get it. But um, yeah, uh, he's not perfect in his badassery. Yeah, I, I think so. So he then goes into um, how he wishes that Ahsoka got to talk to Anakin again. I'm okay with him not with them not talking to each other again. Yeah, the moment that they gave those two was just it was perfect. I I watch it now and I still tear up even a week later after having watched it, you know, like ten times. Agreed. So then it says that the fight choreography was supposed to be amazing, but it was very poor. They built it up by saying they had Ray Park do motion capture, but they should have just animated it. It looked slow and weird and wasn't good. I okay. disagree. I think Amazing. it's a fair. Every, I think it's a fair word of what you just said. Was wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even know who said this. I'm sorry. I just disagree wholeheartedly. But yeah, no. Listen, like we, you know, we are a community of Star Wars fans. That's okay. We're allowed to have different opinions. Um, but yeah, no, I, I disagree with that disagreement. That I think that it was an amazing duel. I think that having Ray Park come back and portray Darth Maul was just brilliant. I mean, no one can be Darth Maul besides Ray Park. He is Darth Maul. Um, And it just gave so much more life to these characters. I've noticed that a lot of these characters aren't just static. If you go back and if you watch Old Friends Not Forgotten, when Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and Anakin go into the room with the 332nd and Rex, and if you look into the troopers in the background that aren't Rex, you'll see them breathing. Their shoulders are going up and down. They're not just static. They're not just staying there. They breathe life into these characters. A lot of times with animation, you'll just put things in the background that won't do anything. They're just there, right? And it might have even felt that way towards the beginning of the Clone Wars, right? You can't you can't even overlook that. But it just speaks to how far this show has come, how far technology has come, how far Lucasfilm has come in terms of just giving the proper love and attention to this show. 
And this fight was so grounded. To me, it felt as if, like you said when we got to this point in the pod, it felt like we were watching people fighting, which I can see how that could look weird when you're so used to the fluidity of these animated characters. But for me, it was a welcome change. Um, it just brought so much more to their to their duel. I completely agree. It looked like you had real people portraying these characters doing this duel in animation, if that makes sense. But I can understand the criticism. Right. I can understand how it may seem out of left field. Well, I mean, dude, when you and I hung out this summer and you showed me Lord of the Rings for the first time and it was in 4K, I was shook. Remember that? Yeah. You know, yeah. it was so like, vivid that I was like, those, I don't know if I like this. Those long expedition sequences when you saw the mountain ranges and when they lit the beacons. Um, it was its beautiful. Um, it can be a lot for the senses. I think that should do it for us. I think we've talked this to death. Um, if you guys have any questions, you guys got comments, please be sure to reach out to us on Twitter, on Instagram, at JediJargonPod. Um, if you want to email us, we also have an email account. That would be JediJargonPod at gmail.com. Um, we don't have Yahoo or Hotmail because we are not psychopaths. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app or on Spotify. We try to drop podcasts at least once a week. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, the pod will be with you always. 